0: We have the second part of our lovely jubbly jubilee edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese with your dearest host Chappie here celebrating the buntings out there. There may never be enough bunting, darlings. Have you got your buntings? Have you? Do save your bunting and recycle your bunting for another occasion. I have lots and lots of bunting in a chest here. A little bit dusty, lots of cobwebs on it, but you can never have enough bunting in celebration of. Queen Elizabeth, Platinum Jubilee, we have the second part of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, celebrating the constant presence of the Queen. I mean, no, I've got my grandmother, my wonderful grandmother, my mother, very important female members of my life that have been pretty constant through my life. But the only other constant has been the Queen. So anyway we uh, we're covering a few other topics here we talked about the uh, her riding in the golden State coaches that a horrible experience she said, a horrible experience uh, riding in the uh, in the Queen's golden Stagecoach at the time of a coronation we talked about did the EU ban crown marks on pint glasses how Boris Johnson had bought the crown marks back really filling in and making it a very patriotic symbolization of Brexit and Britain and the Jubilee and everything else as well we also talked about the Jubilee street parties that could be illegal how the Queen has a secret hand signal when she wants to end a conversation uh, we talked about the Queen's funniest moments as well she's got a really wonderfully wicked sense of humor as well but today we're going to be uh, looking back at Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee I'm going to read a lovely little piece uh, Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee. We're also uh, going to be examining the history of cucumber sandwiches. So cucumber sandwiches. The queen does have a favorite jewel in her crown as well. Uh, The unusual herb that she puts on her cucumber sandwiches. So there's going to be a lot of cucumber sandwiches. Unusual facts about the queen. Eccentricity of the royal family. Many, many different topics we're going to be covering in the second part of our lovely jubilee edition of keep calm and cauliflower cheese i hope you're having a wonderful weekend the weather in the uk is meant to be magnificent a little dash of rain you need a little bit of dash of rain to make it completely a british celebration don't you really here in colorado it's absolutely baking hot we had a lot of rain earlier in the week here but uh, you know what i feel like a cucumber sandwich myself so i'm gonna make myself a lovely cucumber sandwich and we're going to continue on with the program we kick off with uh, a few facts about the queen here she has been the queen of england for 70 years she had a diamond jubilee and uh, now it is a platinum jubilee of the course of her reign there's been 13 different u.s presidents uh, we've had uh, seven roman catholic popes we've had 13 british prime ministers tony blair was the first prime minister to be born during her reign she's so special she doesn't have a driver's license a license plate or a passport the queen is the only living person in britain who is allowed to drive without a license or a license plate in her car and since all british passports are issued in her name she doesn't need a passport to travel around the world either these are so many of the perks of being the queen of england She owns swans as well as every sturgeon, porpoise, whale and dolphin in the UK. Besides being the queen of 16 different countries, in 2005 she claimed ownership of 88 cygnets, young swans, and she owns each and every single sturgeon, whale and dolphin swimming in the United Kingdom waters. This is because in 1324, a statute declared by King Edward II states, Also, the king shall have whales and dolphins taken in the sea or elsewhere within the realm meaning that they any of these animals captured within three miles of the shores of the united kingdom are claimed on behalf of the crown she sent the first email before you did on march the 26th 1976 the queen sent her first email from a British Army base while participating in a network technology demonstration at the Royal Signals and Radar Establishment in Malvern, England. The email was transmitted over the uh, ARPANET, the forerunner of the internet as you know today, which means she was the first head of state to use electronic mail. Corkies are clearly her favourite breed. The Queen has owned over 33 different corgis during her reign, with her first dog being Susan, who was given to her as a present on her 18th birthday. Many of the later corgis are actually descendants of Susan, but she loved her first pup so much. As a matter of fact, the Queen is such a big corgi fan, she actually demoted a footman for giving one of her corgis whiskey. Another fun fact, Elizabeth also introduced a new breed of dog, the dorgie, after one of the corgis mated with Princess Margaret's dachshund pipkin. She also knows how to change a spark plug. When Elizabeth was 18 years old, she joined the Women's Auxiliary Territorial Service during World War II and proudly put on a pair of coveralls and trained as a mechanic and a military truck driver. This would make her the only British monarch in history to be trained to change a spark plug and the only field member of the Royal Family to ever enter the armed forces. I just want to reflect uh, quickly on the other longest monarch before Elizabeth. Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee is a beautiful piece written. I'm going to read a little bit to, to reflect on that. Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee began solemnly with a family Thanksgiving service at Windsor Castle on Sunday June the 20th 1897, the 60th anniversary of her inheritance to the throne. The following day The Queen returned to London to find a sea of colour had washed over the city's soot-coated streets. Union Jacks draped from house balconies, festoons of flowers and rainbows of bunting soared overhead. The explosion of hues reflected a country bursting with patriotic pride. The streets, the windows, the roofs of the houses were one mass of beaming faces and cheers that never ceased, the Queen wrote in her journal. That night at Buckingham Palace, Victoria sat next to Archduke Franz Ferdinand, whose assassination would spark world war one as a tired queen turned in for the night thousands of britons eager to watch the grand procession at st paul's cathedral the next morning slept in the parks outside the palace walls the dawn broke on the overcast morning of tuesday june the 22nd which had been declared a public holiday. Hundreds of thousands of people crowded the London sidewalks in anticipation of the Royal Parade. Vendors hawked souvenir jubilee flags and programmes. The human fence of soldiers their bayonets protruding like pickets walled off the route of the six-mile procession. Before the 17-carriage convey carrying the Royal Family and leaders of Britain's dominions departed Buckingham Palace. Queen Victoria, with a set, touch of a button, sent an electronic message to a vast empire. A telegraph message would have been tailor-made for today's Twitter sir. From my heart, I thank my beloved people. May God bless them, Victoria Regina. At 11.15am, a cannon fired in Hyde Park to announce the monarch's departure from the palace. The roar of the cannon must have forced the clouds into retreat as the sun suddenly began to splash the streets of London. So we have some traditional platinum jubilee garden party games why not try hopscotch kept many children occupied as you needed with chalk and object to throw we've enjoyed playing hopscotch together as it's great for a bit of fun exercising practicing numbers aiming and indeed balance there's also the game jacks it's easy to pick up all you need to throw are the jacks plastic or metal pieces with four to six legs into your playing circle so they scatter a little with a bouncy ball, throw the ball into the air, and at the same time try to bounce up a jack before catching the ball again. Keep going until you don't pick up a jack or miss catching the bouncy ball, and then it's the next player's turn. Also, plenty of different marble games as well, probably best suited for older children who understand the safety breathing that marbles shouldn't be put into your mouths. Whether you build a marble run or play the classic marble game by drawing chalk circle on the ground and trying to knock as many marbles out of the chalk circle as possible with your rolling marbles. Why not have a game of snakes and ladders originated in India as a family dice game as brought to the UK in Victorian times. Ladders represented generosity and faith and the snakes were seen as vices, suckers, murder and theft. By the 1940s the majority of the Indian cultural references had been replaced with British images but the snakes had been retained. Also, a game I've never heard of, sorry, developed in Southend and Sea in 1929. The idea of the game is to get all your pieces or pawns from the start of the home box. The pawns are moved in relation to the draw of a card from the deck of cards, and then you can move the pawns either forwards or backwards, depending on the draw of the card. So in The Times, they have talked about the Platinum Jubilee drinking game. The goal is this platinum jubilee should be for all Her Majesty's drinking subjects to indulge at the same pace to achieve oblivion in a beautifully communal fashion. This requires discipline, structure and a clear defined set of guidelines for when exactly to raise the glass. Okay, so you need to take a sip of drink whenever the Queen points at a horse. Somebody turns to you to say, uh, say what you like about this country but we do this kind of thing bloody well, don't we? Before entering a kind of blissful trance state because we've seen a 12-gun salute. Or you could hear any celebrity TV personality or radio host describe the Queen as amazing. Take an extra sip if they just follow up with an even more specific, just amazing. You can also hear anybody scoff. I mean, who would you rather have? President Blair, take an extra sip if anybody possibly younger replies. Only if that's what the people wanted. It's called democracy. Take an extra sip of a frosty silence descends. Anybody ask? Which is it again regarding Beatrice and Eugenie? Also, some soggy crown members packing them all. Tell a TV reporter, that's a bit of rain. Isn't going to stop them from showing the Queen how much she means to them. Extra sip if they just add, just amazing. Your dad says, actually it's called the Union Flag, not the Union Jack. Take two sips whenever you see a local business using its product to... Create an eerie likeness of the Queen, e.g. a butcher who creates an absolutely chilling window display featuring the Queen's face assembled from sausages, chops, mints and other bits of raw meat. You notice your father, uncle, husband or any other male relative of any certain age casually, but perhaps a bit too casually, asking, where's Pippa then? During any type of any sort of TV coverage, take an additional sip every time you notice them desperately scanning the Jubilee P- VIP stance word muttering, Pepper? You also get some passing message in your street whatsapp group about the lack of bunting because the self-appointed Chief Jubilee street party organiser is starting to feel the pressure and is lashing out anybody sagely pointing out that the queen is on top of all of her duties also wait for it a mother take an extra sip for every other royal family role You're informed that she filled grandmother great-grandmother and so on it could get a little bit messy as celebrities encouraged by a chat show host to recount a time they met the queen only then bashfully describe an encounter so brief and so bland that everybody present immediately wins an academy award for acting as though it was the most droll and delightful thing they've ever heard finish whatever's in your glass when a, a child kills the vibe of the jubilee barbecue by eagerly and loudly demanding to know how much time they get off school when the queen you know passes on uh, during the east end cameos charles and camilla stop in the queen's vic to order a drink at the bar and then danny Dart uh, draws upon every last ounce of acting talent to produce a double take so powerful and profound that the sheer force of his earth axis tilts by two degrees An image of Her Majesty is projected onto the national landmark e.g. the White Cliffs of Dover, the Angel of the North, Edinburgh Castle, down an extra dink if they somehow manage to sneak her onto the side of Anfield Stadium. The Queen herself used the expression on this occasion of my platy dubes to address the nation. Harry and Meghan interrupt the Jubilee service of Thanksgiving at St. Paul's and ask everybody if they could all start again because their accompanying Netflix documentary crew hasn't quite got the lighting right on Meghan's face and they need to do a second take. So which of the US presidents did Queen Elizabeth like the most? The Queen developed a close relationship with President Dwight Eisenhower who hosted her for the first state visit to the US As Queen, they corresponded by letter for years, with the Queen even sharing a recipe for grilled scones with Eisenhower. John F. Kennedy, the Queen reportedly felt upstaged and outshone by Jacqueline Kennedy. When she and President Kennedy toured France and England in the summer of 1961, the Queen hosted them in Buckingham Palace. Queen Elizabeth and President Kennedy corresponded warmly until his death in 1963, after which the Queen created a physical memorial of scholarship fund in Kennedy's honour. President Nixon met the Queen multiple times in his position as first vice president reportedly tried to fix his daughter Trisha up with Prince Charles the Queen's oldest son Gerald Ford Gerald Ford hosted the Queen and Prince Philip for a state dinner if I hadn't kept mixing up your highness and your majesty uh, he's his highness, she's his majesty. I gave myself four stars for the way the visit went off other than that. Jimmy Carter committed an infamous faux pas in kissing the Queen Mother on the lips during his visit to Buckingham Palace to attend a NATO event. Reagan uh, developed a close relationship with the president, um, Ronald Reagan, for which she shared a love of horseback riding. The Queen was reportedly very friendly with both Nancy and Ronald Reagan, his family ranch she visited in 1983. Uh, Brouwer told CNN that the First Lady wrote that the Queen and her memoir had a really good relationship. Reagan wrote that the Queen came to the ranch after she and her husband had mentioned it during a visit to Windsor Castle and the Queen wanted to ride horses. Though the Queen made it to the ranch the weather was so awful so instead the Reagans left the ranch to go on the Royal Yacht Britannia. Despite the change of plans Reagan wrote I spent that evening with the Queen sitting on a sofa in the large living room talking about our children like old friends. In 1989 the Queen granted Reagan and an honorary knighthood the highest distinction for the uk award to foreigners in recognition for his help during the Falklands war and also uh, knighted george hw bush as well during his uh, visits uh, to the uk and said her majesty impressed me as somebody who might uh, for the circumstance of her birth might have been a successful politician or diplomat as it was she had to be both without quite seeming to be either Queen Elizabeth poked fun at George W. Bush over his mistakenly saying she had come to celebrate America's bicentennial in 1776 instead of 1976. In 2009, Barack Obama gifted the Queen an iPod with historical video footage of their previous visits to the U.S. going back to the 1950s as well as his 2009 inaugural address and 2008 speech at the Democratic Convention. In her memoir, Becoming, Michelle Obama described accidentally violating royal protocol by putting her arm around the Queen as a show of affection and support, but the Queen didn't seem offended and reciprocated the gesture. Donald Trump was accused of several faux pas during the summer visit in 2018, including being late to meet the Queen at Windsor Castle, walking in front of her, shaking her hand instead of bowing and turning her back on her. Former royal chef Darren McGrady cooked for the Queen at Buckingham Palace for 11 years, and he knows one or two things about her majesty's diet, including her likes and dislikes. In an exclusive interview, Darren uh, previously revealed how the monarch is not a foodie and prefers traditional British and French cuisine. The Queen, like many of us, uh, also has her favorite dessert. She adores chocolate. She absolutely is a chocoholic. Anything we put on the menu that has chocolate on, she would choose, especially chocolate perfection pie. Uh, Darren worked at Kensington Palace for four years for a main course. She loved game, things like Gaelic steak, uh, fillet steak, and mushroom whiskey sauce, especially if he did it with venison. For first course she loved Glen Eagle's pate with smoked salmon, trout, and mackerel. She also loved using ingredients off the estate. So if we had salmon from Balmoral, from the River Dee, she'd have that, it was one of her favorites. She also used a repertoire of dishes, mainly British and French food. We cooked a lot of traditional French food like halibut, better spinach with a Mornay sauce, but the queen never was a foodie. She'd always ate to live rather than live to eat. Prince Philip was a foodie. He'd like to try any new dishes all the time and get excited about ingredients. And he'd also say, let's try this. Uh, But for the most part, the queen stuck to what she knew. A round leather-bound book of menus written in French would be sent to the Queen each week including a wide-range variety of recipes. We prepared the menus three days ahead so we could get the food in. Esther would put the menus but she would put a line through the ones she didn't want. It's like any mum or son or grandson coming home, if Prince William was coming for tea, it would be a chocolate biscuit cake. Everybody loved that. Some eccentric habits of the Queen and the royal family. No washing machines, please. It's widely known that Prince Charles and Duchess Camilla do not allow for their clothes to be cleaned in washing machines, so everything they wear has to be washed by hand. In fact, there have been several times when they sent their clothing away to be cleaned, only to find that some of the items were stolen from people who wanted to keep it as uh, royal memorabilia. Potatoes' size matters. According to some sources, all the potatoes that are served at Buckingham Palace are previously measured. There's a reason behind this. And there is one that has to be of similar dimensions so they don't throw off the appearance of the dinner plate. Iron everything. While Prince Charles has three personal valets, they're all dedicated to maintain the wardrobe of the prince. Among their tasks is picking out what outfit of the day will be. However, they have other responsibilities such as ironing. The shoelaces of every pair of the Prince of Wales shoes. Somebody to break in your shoes. Speaking of shoes, some royal specialist pointed out how the queen hires somebody to break in her shoes for her so she doesn't have to suffer in the stiff new ones. Seeing her complaining about uncomfortable footwear is a definitive no. Neither is her her having to need to change her shoes at any given time according to some sources queen elizabeth has a particular preference when it comes to her waking up habits it's not listening to rooster's crow or some tune on the cell phone instead she likes to be woken up by the sound of bagpipes so a piper plays under her window each morning from 7am to 9am their lunches are cutting edge if you've ever invited to lunch with the royal family sandwiches are served you'll notice that each of the sandwiches have round edges according to some rumors that the sandwich rule was uh, instated because Prince Albert Queen Victoria's husband thought that it would be bad luck to have it in the shape of a coffin. Prince Charles enjoys cheese and biscuits as a closure for many meals. It's no secret that he's particular about everything. So it's no surprise that he's insistent to have them kept warm at a certain temperature. The staff has made sure to have them at the exact point that they're not too hot for Prince Charles' liking. According to the law, the Queen is the absolute owner of all dolphins and whales when it comes within three miles of Britain's shores. In fact, it's allowed for them to eat them if they wanted to. However, it's been demonstrated up to this point that their usual eating habits go other ways. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. The Queen has a right, if she wanted to, to com- commandeer any British ship. So everybody who owns a ship in the UK has to be alert because the rumours she's claimed this right before. There's also a personal toothpaste squeezer. There's a time when Prince Charles, particularly uh, as his own personal valet, whose work has been helping him with the nighttime routine. Michael Fawcett, the name of one of his employees, was charged with squeezing toothpaste onto his toothbrush every night. Nobody knows if it also tucked him in bed before calling it a night as well. Also, no ideas indeed as we talked about earlier. They own everything the law allows the queen to own most of the swans in the UK. The Queen can ban humour. People of Britain are banned from being funny on public television once Queen Elizabeth dies. In fact, BBC is not allowed to air anything remotely humorous for the 12 days between her death and the funeral. Everything is paid by the state. This is a controversial topic the sovereign grant provided by the government to the royal household in support of the queen's official duties this includes maintenance and upkeep of the royal residences as well as salaries of the employees of the royal family and of course all the perks and eccentricities that take place within the royal family are fully covered prince ruby set in the maltese cross in the imperial state crown is the queen's favorite gem in the crown it's actually not a ruby but one of the largest gem quality red spinels, polished stone, two inches long, pierced and partly covered with a small ruby. The stone was given to Edward the Black Prince by Pedro the Cruel, King of Castile in 1367. It must have been tough to pick a favourite. The Imperial State Crown has many precious gems, including 2,868 diamonds, 273 pearls, 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds and 5 rubies. It's not the oldest gem on the crown. That honour goes to the St. Edward Sapphire, set on the top of the crown, originally set into the coronation ring by Edward the Confessor, in 1042. The Queen also makes some very astute observations on the whole process of being crowned and it doesn't sound very much fun. At one point in the third act of the coronation her regala is removed and she wears a simple dress. When asked why her earrings weren't removed she said they had enough trouble with the necklace she dryly observes. The Queen never really had the closest of relationships with one of her longest serving prime ministers Margaret Thatcher in fact Thatcher never seemed to enjoy herself at Balmoral the Queen's Scottish home and had a famously tense relationship with the Queen. It's customary for the Queen to have an audience with the Prime Minister once a week, a private off-the-books conversation. The meetings between Thatcher and Queen Elizabeth became increasingly frosty over the years, with Thatcher deeming it a waste of time and apparently reading the agenda for the meetings at the last minute in the car or on the way to Buckingham Palace, according to the Queen and Mrs. Thatcher, an inconvenient relationship. The annual Balmoral visit was no less unpleasant in the, in an episode of the crown we see the pm not being able to hold her own at the games and sports showing up ill prepared for the outdoor life with only her high heels arriving at dinner very early and wanting to leave at as early and as quickly as possible apparently this is pretty true to life thatcher regarded trips to balmoral as purgatory according to the queen's biographer the queen and mrs thatcher also states that thatcher referred to balmoral as a different world the queen apparently does the dishes so thatcher once bought her some rubber gloves for Christmas. Watched Her Majesty do the dishes at Bon Mall one time uh, without rubber gloves. Could would have named them Margaret's Marigolds. So if anybody saw the lighting of the beacons the lighting of the beacons have become a traditional aspect of major royal jubilee celebrations throughout Britain and the commonwealth but what does it indeed mean? Traditionally beacons represented deliberately staged fires which were built on intervals along coastal and major internal land ports when it would be lit it would denote a message. In the days before instant forms of communication beacon lighting was one of the fastest ways of passing a message across long distances. Famously beacons were Often used to denote potential impending invasions as signals to military bases and ready armed forces. In Britain, the oldest organised beacon system dates back to the 15th century during the reign of Edward IV, according to the Royal Observer courts because beacons uh, were a, a mere way, an effective way, for a military to call arms to be raised, than a messenger on foot, owing to the lack of clear paths across the wild countryside at the time. The most famous occasion when the beacon system was needed to be used in full effect was during the invasion attempt of the Spanish Armada in 1588 when Philip II of Spain actively challenged Elizabeth I's right to rule. So if you're having a jubilee party uh, this weekend then you need some cucumber sandwiches. The tea sandwich is a British foodstuff staple like scotch eggs. It also often takes the form of having cucumbers in it tradition stiff upper lip tally bally ho so get your napkins and get ready for the cucumber sandwich it involves a thin slice of cucumber between crustless white bread lightly buttered hailing from mighty blighty the best planet on earth the dish is often thought as a lunchtime uh, or a snack during some afternoon tea in england the dish has a lot of symbolic national status particularly in the world of cricket where it's often served during tea breaks during the matches so it's a summer type treat typically although the dish is more commonly associated with high society and aristocracy, so cucumbers came out of India and mentioned in the Bible in Numbers eleven five. By the thirteen hundreds, the vegetables uh, in England coming over here and taking our jobs, ruining society. And at some point in Victorian times, when crinoline was such a big deal, somebody put cucumbers on some white bread and enjoyed it very much. In England, afternoon tea became a big deal around 1840, and a Duchess of Bedford used this concept as a snack before a big dinner. Back in the days, dinner was served at 8pm for the upper echelons of society, Uh, and cucumber sandwiches are very much the indication of wealth. This partly because cucumbers were pretty difficult to come all year round. The dish was even served at Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee in 1887. There's a major part of Oscar Wilde's importance of being earnest. In the play, the food is a symbol of excess and privilege Algeron always going to be posh of a name like that. Can't stop eating cucumber sandwiches. The character Jack says to Algeron, uh, Shropshire, yes of course. Hello, why all these cups? Why cucumber sandwiches? Why reckless extravagance in one so young? Who's coming to tea? Good heavens, Lane. Why are there no cucumber sandwiches? I ordered them specifically. There were no sandwiches and cucumbers on the market this morning, so I went down there twice. No cucumbers? No, sir. Not even for the ready money. That will not do, Lane. Thank you. I'm greatly distressed, Aunt Augusta, about there being no cucumbers, not even for ready money. You can imagine some British, posh British chap sipping from fine China cup pinky aloft before chowing down an exquisite cucumber dish. During the Edwardian era, there was a manic lust for sandwiches like never seen before. However, these days the dish has less of a fanatical following partially due to cucumbers now being viewed as normal as they're so readily available. So even the scum-gag working classes get stuck in cucumbers. So what do you need to make a cucumber sandwich? Bread, some sort of filler, and a little bit of a knob butter on there as well. Queen is said to be very fond of traditional afternoon tea, and it's served at Buckingham Palace Gardens, uh, with parties taking place every year at the iconic Royal Residence. It recently revealed that around 20,000 finger sandwiches are made for garden parties each year, 26,000 cups of tea are drank, and another 20,000 cakes, including scones enjoyed by the attendees. Sandwich fillings include traditional smoked salmon, cucumber sandwiches, cream cheese, and cheese and onions. There are rolled, the sandwiches are rolled onto the side and the corners of the square sandwiches are cut off. Add a cucumber sandwich out on the grass at the back of Buckingham Palace and the sun is shining and there's mint in it. Mint is a special ingredient, you know you've made it. You'll never make a cucumber sandwich without chopped mint in it again. None of the American sourdough, the mint is, isn't simply placed inside the sandwich. It's mixed with natural yogurt. The uh, yogurt and chopped mint mixture is then layered over the peeled and thinly slices Uh, of cucumber black pepper is often cracked over the top another piece of bread is on top of that another sandwich that is seen on the royal afternoon tea stand is egg mayonnaise an absolute classic the royals are fans uh, of gammon ham and dijon mustard sandwiches too the queen herself loves jam penny sandwiches and according to the royal chef is said to eat them every time she has afternoon tea they're simply white bread jam sandwich with jam made from balmoral strawberries sandwiched together and then cut into circles using a cutter and the queen likes her scones; she follows it the cornish way jam and then clotted cream thank you so much for listening to the lovely jubbly jubilee double edition of the podcast it's Chappie out uh, i will not uh, be around for the friday edition of the podcast next week i'm going on a little trip But don't worry, there will be at least one edition of the podcast this coming week. you probably have about a week to wait. Can you wait that long? I don't know. Take a deep breath. Think of England. Don't let the buggers get you down. And remember this, though. On the Jubilee celebrations, the Platinum Jubilee celebrations, you're thinking about the Queen and what she's done over the last 70 years and what she stands for. Integrity. Hard work and selflessness are our key qualities and are never needed more than today. That's why, as a nation and around the world, the nation should rejoice in her long reign. Thank you for listening. Cheerio.